Hey, listener, cutting in here real quick on my laptop's onboard mic, which is why I sound this way. For the last, like, 40 minutes of this episode, because of the nature of the film we're discussing, we're going to be talking about child abuse. So if that's, like, a sensitive area for you, this is just a quick content warning so that maybe y'all want to, you know, dip out now, skip this one, or dip out at, like, the hour and five minute-ish mark. With all that out of the way, let's get into the episode proper. Welcome to Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. Come, it's time to live as another you. Come, it's time to start another life. Come, it's time to change the world. Why did you put come in here so many times? (laughs) What are we going to talk about today, Mark? Oh, we are returning to the films of Mamoru Sota with Bell. Bell is a genre-bending animated film written and directed by Mamoru Hosoda and produced by Studio Chizo. Bell premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on July 15th, 2021 and stars Kahu Nakamura, Takiru Sato, Ryo Narita, Tina Tamashiro, and Shota Somitani, among others. Uh, what is our fan review for this movie? This week's fan review comes from Google Fan Reviews, and it's from Rinko077, seven months ago, who said, five stars, love the story. In my opinion, I give this 10,000 out of 10. <laughs> there were a surprising number of reviews available for this film, and I know it's been available internationally for a while, even though it's only hit our shores uh, recently, and mm-hmm. it is a film of a very noted and admired filmmaker. So I scrolled, I probably spent 15 minutes scrolling through reviews, because at a certain point, I stopped looking for a review for our intro, and was just genuinely getting into the dialogue of what fans felt about this film. <laughs> Not genuinely, but genuinely. You were yes. doing it as as, as musical pop artist R&B genuine would do. Star yes. genuine, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I just like I, I had to kind of check myself and say I'm just, I'm just reading reviews at this point because I want to hear what people think. Yeah, and I liked fair. I liked this one because a lot of the reviews, I think, because it's very new but it's for a noted director. A lot of the reviews were very long and nuanced and said, Mm -hmm. I'm giving it this. Here's my pros and cons list or responding to the person above. And this was just short and sweet and just clearly someone who loved the movie. (laughs) So again, I know the answer to this, but when did you first watch this film? The first time I saw this movie was like a couple days ago with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. I got a hold of it and then waited for to and to watch it. Waited until I had were, a window of time that we could get together. Yeah. I also just watched it with my wife and daughter, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to get their reactions as well. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. I will be I'm eager to hear what they thought about this. <laughs> so man, out of the gate as we get into this, this mm-hmm. immediately This feels like the work of its director, right? I think within the first five minutes of this movie, you stopped about five different times to say, who directed this? (laughs) That was my experience with the opening sequence of this movie. It was just Mark saying, who who is it? Who did this movie again? Like every 30 to 60 seconds. (laughs) The film opens on a digital world and there's immediately like a giant digital whale. It's like the first thing you see, the giant whale. Mm -hmm. 
It's colorful. It's bright. There is an opening narration describing the U, which is this new digital space that five billion users are in. But while that's going on, the sort of the cold open almost is just the the title character of Belle in like this kind of pop star visage riding on the back of an enormous whale with like a billion amplifiers and just like singing the whole hell out of a song. While you were stopping every 30 seconds to be like, who directed this? I was just <laughs> mouth agape, flabbergasted at how because we watched this in English, Mark. Yep. yep. And, and, and dubs have a spotty record in general. <laughs> the at best. Um, but these, but the, the Hasoda films usually have pretty good dubs with the exception of maybe the girl who leapt through time. I can't think of an instance where I like strongly prefer one over like, like the, the subs over the dub. They usually have pretty solid dubs. Sure, yep. But holy hell, this is like, I believe I said like Disney, Pixar, like musical level quality vocals coming out of this woman's mouth. Absolutely blown away by, I believe Kylie McNeil is her name. Uh, that's a thing I would note as I spent a while in reviews, regardless of any other opinions, basically everyone said that. Like the music, the the performance and the production are absolutely as quality as anything put out by disney right now yeah it really just it's great and the songs are catchy and good and even in their like translated american versions lyrically compelling they're like i would listen to this ost yeah it's everyone who is talked about how much they love the songs from like frozen or Encanto or Moana over the last like half decade or however long that all these films have been out. The, the songs in this movie are as well produced and as I feel as powerful as most of those songs. It's legitimately good. I did. It's, I knew that this was going to be like a, the, this was like a sticking point for them on the production end. They really had to like try and find the person who was going to embody that character for the English audience and they absolutely nailed it. I for better or worse, a lot of this film's success rides on the believability of Bell as an overnight pop sensation and on the <laughs> on the sort of uniquely compelling quality of her songs. Like the narrative requires that and they got it. So all right, we, we get through that with this sort of introduction to the character of bell which from a narrative perspective is sort of like a peek ahead bell hasn't quite been created yet but you know it's opening credits it's establishing a few things and then we get that sort of commercial lady robot voice explaining the you to us it's just, it's the latest version of this this thing. It's whatever this movie's version of that thing that he does right. in half his movies is. Yep. Uh, which is how, which for better or worse is now like how I'm going, going into this movie the first time and on rewatch, how I was conceptualizing every step of the movie is like, how much does it st- stand up to like <laughs> the scrutiny of being compared to these former versions of the things that he has already done. Yes. This is a device that he loves a giant online virtual universe. This one, we learn 5 billion users, which means an enormous chunk of the world 
I'm spelling that out because I do have some mild complaints about the way in which the U feels weirdly small that we can discuss later. Okay. Okay. But it is, it's the new hotness. It's the new digital social hangout universe thing. Uh, Once we have sort of established that by way of the kind of robot advertising lady filling us in, we cut to our, for lack of a better way to put it, our real life characters. Yeah. This is where we meet Suzu, who is our lead. She's getting out of bed, kind of falling out of bed and getting ready for school. She's not really talking to her dad. In the first couple of minutes of this part of the movie are going to be her and the movie introducing us to what will turn out to be like the five members of this friend group. So, Mark, where does the this opening scene take place in terms of the timeline of this movie? Because when I watched it the first time, I just assumed that this is where we were doing our jump backwards. But I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, it's not entirely clear because when she's getting out of bed, she's kind of eyeballing her phone. There's she has a microphone in her hand. Yeah, there's there's stuff to suggest that she just like finished the performance that we saw, like accompanying the opening credits. It's a little fuzzy. Like the first time I watched this, I like I thought this is just that's where we're cutting back to like the start of the movie. But I don't think that's the case now. I think it happens just like a little bit later. There Um, are moments in this film where the mm -hmm. timeline feels a little sloppy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that's intentional because uh, sloppy is rarely a word that I would attach to Hasoda. But there are times when when. The narrative feels a bit fuzzy. I think it happened. Like, I think it cuts. This is a weird thing to try and place. But in my mind on the second time through, because watching this the second time through feels like a different experience. It truly does. I was about to mention that. Yes. I think we get. When do we get the splash screen with the title bell? Because I think that happens after she's talking with the, like, she's on the step with the dog and her dad leaves. Yeah, that feels right. And if that's the case, I think that's when we get our cut back. Because she's sitting on the, everything about the framing there is the same as it is later in the film. Before she has to, like, run off to, like, we'll we'll get there. I don't want to, like, too many spoilers, I guess. (laughs) But if you've listened to this podcast, you watch the movie. There's some framing later in the film where she's sitting on the step and it's just a little later in the day. And, like, her mood is the same there. Yep. Um, before she has to like, yeah, try and try and get to where she's going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the timeline's a little weird in this movie, but we do eventually get to her like going to school and stuff. And everybody's talking about this Ruka girl. Yeah, it is a different. This is where to me, I realized, oh, it's a different experience watching the second time because the first time through, it just feels like, oh, we're getting a little bit of like the high school vibe. Mm-hmm. The second time through, you realize we're very specifically name checking and giving some base characteristics to the characters who will become our scrappy teen squad which i love a good scrappy teen squad i do it's another thing hasoda's very good at Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this is him seeding it we meet a hero who is her best friend slash one of her few friends we're kind of given to understand. Suzu's a bit of a loner as we meet her in this movie. I don't love Hero. She feels like the kind of friend who does things because she gets something, like does things for you to help you out because like it's what she, like she's doing what she wants, but she's trying to make it look 
altruistic. There's a bit of a negative vibe to her, and I couldn't put a finger on it. That might be what I'm feeling. Yeah. It's it's hard to pin down, and there's some interesting energy between those two characters in general, mm-hmm. because she seems to be the one who, for whatever reason, has sort of stuck with Suzu. Like, that's her best mm-hmm. friend, the person she talks to, the one that she kind of knows and trusts and feels comfortable with. But Hiro does have a kind of edgy energy that I that I that I just don't quite like. Early on, you I, you don't quite get it like right here in this movie. But like the longer you get to know her, I feel like it builds on that. So like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe she feels like because she's Suzu's only friend, she can be this like her. She feels so manipulative to me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be the core of it. Yeah, is in her head, she's looking out for Suzu. She's helping her. She's encouraging her to kind of get back out there in a manner mm-hmm. of speaking but because of the vibe and the way in which she's doing it and for me i would say specifically the things that she chooses to argue with suzu about yeah there is an uncomfortableness to it that does feel manipulative or a bit exploitative at times. yeah certainly exploitative was a good way to put it so she and suzu hero and suzu are kind of standing out on the balcony looking down over like the courtyard of their high school, mm-hmm. they see what to me is a really interesting move, which is we're going to establish the sort of Ruka is her name. And she is very much the kind of, again, the big girl on campus. She's the mm-hmm. one that everyone looks up to. All the girls want to hang out with her. There's a sense that just like everybody in the school kind of has a low key crush on Ruka. Yeah. Voiced by Hunter Schaefer, which yep, fantastic. Love to see it. And what I find interesting about her is that we're establishing her cool girl credentials by having her jamming on the saxophone. It's real good. It's She's very good. And it's atypical. Like in American media, you expect that to be cheer practice, right? Or something like that. Sure. And it was just so fun to see just like, ah, she's so cool. Look at her dancing while she's playing the saxophone. I like that. Like. She's doing that, and then this character, uh, Kamashin, is trying to get people to, like, join the rowing club. Yes. At the same time. This movie, the second time through, is there's a lot more you miss from from the first time. Like, it, it encourages repeat viewing, I think. That's something I'm excited to talk about as we go through, yes. Because my reaction to this movie the second time was different. Yeah, same. Ruka initially, like, you see her, like, looking over to where, like, Kamashin's, like, trying to get people to join the rowing club. And I think your first time through, you're like, she finds what's happening embarrassing. And then the second time through, you're like, oh, she very clearly has a crush on this boy. Yes. And she does not know how to handle herself. And also, interestingly, with, with Ruka, she, despite being established as, like, the cool kid, is nothing but kind and friendly across the board. She's not like the mean girl, popular girl. She's exactly. like the she's the one who's like is the cool, nice to everybody, popular girl. Yes, and that's something I appreciated. I think on the second watch as well. So we we, we meet those two, right? Hiro and Suzu. They're watching Ruka playing the sax. They're watching. Uh, they're watching Kamishin just like wandering around with a giant sign that says "canoe" on his back. It's real good. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. And then they watch uh, Shinobu at basketball practice. And they talk a little bit about him because 
he's a cute boy. They're both acknowledging that. And there's a fun moment where Suzu's like, you know, we had a we had a minute once, me and that guy. Granted, we were six, but we had a minute. <laughs> right, right. As one does. <laughs> and that serves as our jumping off point to a flashback that's going to fill in some of Suzu's story. My reaction to Hero the second time through, if you invert that, that's how I feel about Shinobu. <laughs> I like him so much better on second viewing. There is a degree to which, and we'll just talk about it now before the flashback, because then we can examine it through the movie. There's a degree to which, I think in part, I'm ashamed to say this, because of their gender relationships to the main character, uh-huh. My expectations, I read out of the gate, I read Hero as the loyal best friend mm-hmm. and Shinobu as the sort of white knighty, I'll take care of you. And on second watch, I think those two roles are reversed. Yeah, It is very so. much Shinobu who is the quietly loyal best friend who's just there to help however he can help. And Hero, who's kind of white knighting this and making it more about her, right, than Suzu. Mm-hmm. I think that's correct. And that was that to me, more than anything, was the crux of my second viewing of this movie. Granted, <laughs> There's a lot of other dudes. things going on, but <laughs> granted, we are the whitest of men, so filter our experience. Sure. That as well, <laughs> okay, so we then hit this flashback because Suzu has said, you know. Uh, shinobu and i have known each other since we were kids when we were six he promised to protect me forever and we then see a little like a little very uh hasoda montage of young suzu and her family and specifically young suzu and her mom just like doing kid and parent things together right it's cute it's sweet they obviously love each other Dad is also in the background being a good dad. It's just, it's this little three-person family unit. And then there's a bit, obviously early grade school, in the middle of a thunderstorm, Suzu's mom wades out into the river to save a trapped toddler. And in the process, saves the toddler, but loses her own life. Just to put the vest that she wore out there on the little girl. And it's very... For obvious reasons, it is framed on Suzu. Like we're seeing the mom, but the act, like as the action is occurring, mm-hmm. we're framed on six-year-old Suzu and kind of sharing her trauma, which and I what is forget. clearly a very intentional choice. Because this is Suzu's movie in a lot of ways, or at least the first half is. I would say I never stopped Mark to actually sit with it and think about how many of Hosoda's films like center around young women, and it's most of mm. them. It's yeah. it's fair. It's point. actually most of them, which is <laughs> for like a, a dude director is feels like a rarity outside of maybe Digimon War Games and the Boy and the Beast are both kind of more. Right. Dude, Those are yeah, more yeah, young huh. boy adolescent stories. And the other ones right. are all like centered around. I mean, argue wolf children kind of plays in both of those worlds sure but even then i feel like the little girl in that is the lead and yeah, her brother and is a, like a secondary yeah, i was gonna say a big chunk of the story is also her mom's story which is absolutely a young woman's story absolutely yeah that's your that's a good point, that's a good point. <laughs> so okay we sort of 
that flashback has given us the foundation we need to understand Suzu's reticence, her sort of relationship to Shinobu. Because within that flashback, we also see like a six-year-old Shinobu telling her like, don't worry, I'll protect you. I'll I'll take care of you. I'm here. And then Hiro says to Suzu, you know, you really ought to look into you. Kind of everyone's joining in. This is a thing you should think about. And this is, again, where the, where the timeline gets a little messy, because what we see then is Suzu making her avatar, even though like it feels like this is the evening of the morning upon which she had given her performance. So not sure quite how to read. Like I said, I think it jumps backwards quite a bit. Like, I think the opening bit is just a framing device of like, this is Bellum's world. We get a big yep. opening song. And then we like cut forward to like her. Like the timeline's just weird. It just is. Like it, I so, feel like then yep. it cuts forward, and then I feel like when she's sitting on that step, that feels like the same tone as later in this movie. Whenever she's, and I don't know if that's just supposed to be conceptual symmetry, if it's actually the same day. Uh, but nevertheless, that we're all of this is before Bell was a thing so far. Yes. <laughs> so we learn a little bit about the Avatar process here. Mm-hmm. She does I'm, throw up off the side of a bridge after karaoke. <laughs> she does. Yeah. There's a bit where That's all it. of her friends are like, come on, we're singing karaoke. You should sing. We you like, you know, everyone else is singing. She and doesn't try to sing in karaoke, but on the walk home, she kind of tries to sing to herself. Yeah. She like, she, you know, she's this is a thing that she's had problems with since her mom passed away because that was a thing they shared together. Yep. And so she has a fucking panic attack and runs out of there. And then on the bridge, uh, on the way home, tries to like sing to herself and she can't do it. It's just too overwhelming. And then she does a, she does a little puke off the side of the, the bridge. Anytime, anytime anime characters puke while in trauma, I like it, Mark. I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't know what it is, but like, it feels it's something that Western animation would never do earnestly. It would always be yeah. a bed. Yeah. It would always be like vomiting and Western animation is always a joke. It's always gross out. humor. <laughs> so let's talk about how you make a character in you, because that's that's what Suzu's up to now. After throwing up on the way home, after talking to Hero, after sort of struggling with karaoke, she goes home she makes a character but you don't it's not like a self-design avatar you don't get to go in and kind of put your put your avatar together to your own specifications it scans your biometrics and builds one for you i still don't know what to make of that if i'm honest yeah it's it's interesting, huh? I don't know how it gets from A to B. I don't know how the ins and outs of it work. I'm not super concerned about, you know, the logistic process. Um, sure, yep. Because I think the core of it is just, this is emotional storytelling. This is a movie. Let it be a movie and not a fucking yep. spreadsheet. Yeah, we don't need to dissect the science fiction of it. What the movie tries to communicate to us via especially Belle and the Beast, but I would also say through a character that is a tiny whining baby what the movie's trying to communicate to us is that the the avatar reflects something about the core nature of the self yeah and that's kind of as much as we're gonna get yeah that's yeah what you said so suzu's character suzu's avatar she names bell initially b-e-l-l and she thinks it looks nothing like her except for the freckles. 
And specifically, she thinks it looks nothing like her because it's too tall and beautiful. Yeah, is, she she says, "Is this? Did it think I was Ruka by mistake?" Because she uses a pic. Ruka is like, "Come yeah. on, take a picture with us." Because she's just yeah, nice she uses person. like a group picture. So she walks in and start just starts singing. Like as soon as she kind of accepts that, all right, well, this is my character, whatever. She she I guess like the the break from the physical world and the people she knows allows her to kind of sing without the related trauma and anxiety that has prevented her from engaging with that part of her brain in the real world. Yeah, that I mean, that makes sense. There's no shortage of people who low-key dissociate on stage even when they're performing, like IRL, yes. where they're just like, I'm yeah. going to close my eyes, I'm going to pretend I'm somewhere else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's an immediate split reaction to Belle. Some of the people standing right around her start listening in, Mm-hmm. folks seem to like it other folks have negative or middling reactions and this is the first look that we get the first like full look that we get a device this movie employs multiple times which is using rapid fire vocalizations and accompanying text bubbles to sort of represent the internet as a whole right to sort of give us the feel of a viral or virtual reaction to something yeah i I don't think it's a unique way to do this but it's a very effective way Mm -hmm. to sort of within the framework of a movie communicate the idea that this is what the internet is doing all right back to the real world this movie is a bit tricky to track for the same reason that a lot of Hosoda films are, and that it's stepping back and forth between two coexisting realities. Right. Back in the real world, she goes to town choir. It's really, I love this choir. We get, we eventually learn via some pictures and some additional flashbacks that this is a group of women with whom Suzu's mom used to sing and perform and just hang out with. These were her friends. This was her mom's like peer group. I love a group of supportive older ladies. <laughs> Look, it showed up in that last Ava film that we did too. It's it did. Like, that's true. I just enjoy it every time it shows up. I'm just like, this is great because old ladies can be horrible. And I love it when they're just these <laughs> supportive yeah. or at least trying to be supportive old ladies. And even whenever they're mean, like they at least have like this, like, there's this robustness to the character, especially whenever Hasoda is directing them. Yeah. <laughs> they feel real. I, he, I this don't is know a how. a great group he, of ladies. Yeah. He makes people feel real for me, Mark. <laughs> and Suzu's just like hanging out, hovering in the shadows at one point, like sitting beneath a set of bells, xylophone. Clearly. She doesn't really sing with these ladies, but she has been attending this presumably since her mom died and these ladies are just looking out for her you know yeah it's very sweet i would say again on the second watch this first meeting with the choir meant more to me because i realized oh this isn't just another like tiny minute of suzu's life this group has some significance right right we also within this kind of chunk of time see shinobu and suzu actually interacting they meet in like the halls of the school she's trying to sort of work up the energy to tell him like 
listen, I know like you feel like it's your job to watch out for me, but you don't have to do that anymore. I've got this. Like I I can take care of myself now. Yeah, I I think that like the intentionality here is like so different between these two characters because I think that Suzu feels like she's being pitied. And that yes, and, and so that's I think, a thing I actually had in my handwritten notes. I wanted to ask you about. Go ahead. Okay. No, you you what what did your notes say? You tell me. So my thought here is trying to kind of sort out why Suzu is trying to work up the energy to tell him because she has a crush on him. That is established very mm-hmm. early and maintained throughout the movie. She likes this boy. They've been friends forever. She still has a crush on him now. So. My question for you, I guess, is the way I read all of this is not Suzu saying like, this boy won't leave me alone or Suzu saying like, ah, I am strong now. Like, thanks for the help. I've got this. I very much read it as though she thinks she is trying to cut him free of some obligation, right? He made this promise when he was six. They're like in high school now. She feels weirdly guilty that he keeps having to check in on her. And she like to her, she's trying to like free him of that obligation. That was my read of it. Yeah, we find out later on it 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 circles this square nicely of whenever she's watching her mother rescue that little girl and then like the girl comes back and her mom doesn't and then she's having like this moment of like i need to go find my mommy and walk into the water we find out that uh that he's the one that stops her yes we don't find that until later i feel like it could have been inferred um at any point and i think you're always in the back of your head going that was probably that little boy but (laughs) um it's it's clarified later in the film but like yeah i think she feels like she's become a burden to him yeah and she doesn't want to be that burden to him like i think she's probably carrying that weight a lot the character herself and i know personally what it's like to just feel like any imposition that somebody else is making on your behalf can make you just internalize all of that Mm. like Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. worst opinions about yourself and project all the worst parts of the things you believe about yourself onto other people Uh, but i don't think shinobu thinks that I don't I think he just is no. generally like are you okay or like I, I don't know that he always knows the best way to navigate that because he's a teenage boy right. but to be fair mostly <laughs> his check-ins are non-intrusive like yeah. he's not hanging out at her house all the time he's not repeatedly like following her to class to make sure she's doing her homework just every now and then he's wandering over and is like you good are you good I feel like the film is intentionally trying to make us skeptical of him this first like interaction here and like i don't love him like physically stopping her from leaving like by grabbing her like hand or whatever yeah any any even discussion of gender aside Mm -hmm. you don't you don't physically impose yourself on someone else you just don't do that so that's uncomfortable um i think he realizes i think he never has he never says any of it out loud but i think like slowly through this film every time they have an interaction he's like he's cataloging where he fucked up in his head yep uh, yep (laughs) and learning how to do better the next time yeah it is interesting and that the second watch through there's a thing i wrote down as well i feel like there's more insecurity in shinobu than i read Mm -hmm. the first time Mm -hmm. through 
Yeah. He is very much like an insecure teenage boy who really wants to help his friend and doesn't truly know. Like, he's kind of in over his head here. Oh, yeah. Definitely in over his head. He's trying to take on (laughs) way too much and has been trying to take on too much being responsible for another living person as a child growing up. Um, (laughs) So while this is going on in real life, we get some... Some more of the kind of internet cutscenes and whatnot, some some visuals in the U, as well as some like phone reactions to let us know that Belle, the character, the avatar, is blowing up. She's got hundreds of thousands of followers. People are reacting more and more to her. She's a very literal overnight sensation. Yeah. She's holding a big concert. Yeah, this is significant because it's staging a giant, like she's a big enough deal that she's holding a huge concert. That's our next kind of thing in the U is this giant concert. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, there are some more whales because of course there are. In an orb. In a, in a giant floating digital orb. Yes. <laughs> and this is where the beast shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and according to my wife, this is where she. This is where the movie got interesting. <laughs> That's fair. The early parts of this movie, at least the first time through, they drug for me. Yeah, they. Yeah, Holly said in review, like the first half an hour, I didn't know if I was going to like the movie, and then it sort of got going. Mm-hmm. It it takes longer to get going than his other films for sure absolutely it does and on the second watch you find you enjoy it more because you know who all of those characters are and so you're getting so much more out of all of these small interactions but as you say movie maybe like if you need to be watching it a second time to get hooked you could make the argument that it has some pacing issues Wait, i mean when you have two hours worth of story and you need four hours worth of time to get a more full experience out of it maybe sure. you're not telling your story as effectively as you could and that we know that he's capable of yes yep so okay the beast shows up here the orb cracks open he flies in in like a like a blaze of digital light like he's got this this you know almost like digital chemtrail behind him and sort of fights with the what's his movie call them not the guardians like the police of the u are they the justices justices that's it thank you a more pretentious word than guardian they look like they look like knockoff mega man x background characters is what they look 100 percent. they do that's all i could think of the first time we were watching this movie is i'm like this is like (laughs) this is this is a background character from mega man x 14 (laughs) (laughs) and when we were watching this we, we also meet justin who was like the leader of the justices yeah you hate him right off the bat oh his boy name, he's just the his, worst his name should have been gaston i'm with you <laughs> i hadn't even connected because in my head my brain drew the immediate connection from justin to justice right like that the right it's, the yeah, sound it's, is there because it's bad because it's yeah because it, it was is. low effort because they said change yeah but it's holly did really point out which is i think what you're kind of getting at there is a sort of auditory similarity to it right it's got the the gj sound at front it's got the tin at the end like it's, it's, a, it's a neighboring name there's a couple of big quick fights where the beast is just tearing through like half a dozen a dozen guardians at a time mm-hmm. justin has this giant like anime emerald ray on his arm it looks like 
Omnimon's the where Guru, whatever the Metal Guru Mon, half of Omnimon from Digimon, <laughs> when he has the cannon come out of his mouth, it's that, but it's a lion instead. Yep. Yep. And there's a chaos emerald <laughs> in it. <laughs> yep. For reasons. And its whole deal, it's a very, it's very much a plot cannon. <laughs> yes. Its whole, its whole deal is like, if I shoot you with this, it will reveal you, like it, it'll disconnect you from the bio, whatever, whatever, whatever that gives your avatar like it's digital skin and it will reveal the real you mm-hmm. i guess again this is a story we're telling a story here this is not meant to be hard science fiction we don't need yeah. to interrogate that too much blast away my digital skin <laughs> and there's definitely some immediate tension and chemistry between bell and the beast Right? Like they're exchanging glances. They're kind of trying to talk to each other a bit. They are aware, I think, that each of them is a sort of singularly unique presence and they recognize something similar in each other. I think they definitely are. They feel that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Mark. I don't think it's romantic. Is I don't, I don't think any of it's romantic. I think it wants to frame it that way initially because we're stapling this on top of beauty and the beast obviously i think uh, that is 100 percent what i think happens is it unintentionally borrows an air of romance because of the beauty and the beast framing and so at least for all western audiences and i presume because it's mm-hmm. disney a universal audience you sure we read we want to read some of that relationship as romantic but i think you're right that it's not necessarily supposed to be i think it's more of like when you got some shit going on and you meet other people who got some shit going on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you there's a vibe there you like there's a comfortability there you can like see yourself (laughs) in each other and i think that's what's going on with these two yeah i i would agree trauma recognizes trauma (laughs) (laughs) yeah there is there is a there is a bond between those two characters that is intimate in its own way but not like romantically intimate yeah i don't i don't think it's wrong i don't ever feel like it's the only time the movie kind of lends that air of things to it is when she has to write a love song here in a while yeah but i think what's happening there and this is i feel like the movie's pretty explicit about it is that she is projecting her feelings for shinobu onto this person Mm -hmm. and i think if it was any other director they would have went that route and it would have been shinobu all along yes that was uh and again uh my wife hasn't watched a lot of these when the beast showed up initially, she kind of rolled her eyes and was like, it's not the boy from high school. That's the boy from high school, right? Right. That's what, yeah. That's because what that's, what, most that's directors what we are trained to expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and yeah, I okay. think that's why he's, I think that's why he's framed the way he is earlier on is that. Yes. I think that's why he has that more like menacing presence in that scene that precedes this in the hallway. It's because right. they want you to, they're, they're, he's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. He wants you to think that. Everybody, there's going to be a bunch of like red herrings, but he's the reddest of herrings, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually kind of where the movie goes next, right? So we back out from this concert. The Beast escapes. And Suzu and Hiro try to figure out who the Beast is. I say Suzu and Hiro. Suzu mostly says, 
I think he's nice, actually. I think he's nice. And Hero says, he must be exposed. We need to know who he is. Suzu goes, I think he's neat. And Hero goes, he's a man. And honestly... (laughs) Honestly, Fair. both of them, both of them are having completely <laughs> rational responses here. So we get a kind of montage of popular internet theories, right? Like maybe he's this artist who has tattoos similar to the beast bruising pattern. Maybe he's this famous baseball player. Maybe he's this like popular housewife mommy blogger. We float a number of those kind of theories. Yeah, I don't like any of those people that they think it is. I don't like any of them. So all of that's kind of, we also learn within the context of this via some other kind of spliced in internet vids that a number of young people seem to kind of like the beast. He's got a little bit of a sort of people's hero vibe going on uh, with, with a certain corner of the internet. I mean, he's fighting the internet cops. Kids yep. love it. Kids, <laughs> yep. kids are all about it. Kids these days are like, we don't like the internet cops. <laughs> so bell jumps or, or suzu jumps back into bell back into you and uh an angel i'm not actually clear it's an ai i've written in my notes an angel ai it's a little avatar that she met when she first came into the world as well i don't think it's an ai i think yeah, it's, the it's, mermaids uh, are but i don't think that that particular character is i think that character is uh well, Tomo. That's that's Tomo. Okay. Yeah, that reads. That tracks for me. Because the other ones are specifically spelled out at some point as the Beast's AI. Because he, he's on his account and he's watching the angels there whenever the Beast and Belle do their little dancey dance later. And she sings right. The song. Yes, that's right. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah. And then Tomo knows the song later. Yep. That all tracks. So the little angel, Tomo, the younger brother of the the human who is the beast meets bell and's like listen everyone wants to know where the castle is but for some reason i've got a good vibe about you i'm gonna show you and she leads him to the beast castle they have some intense interaction where he's like why are you here get out you very disney beauty and the beastie you know yeah. i'm gonna roar at you until you leave and she's like i don't i don't actually think you're gonna bite my head off i i do not believe that this is you because she also sees him interacting with the angel, uh, Tomo, presumably, with some of the AI. And she says, it seems like there's this sort of anger side of you, but also this incredibly compassionate side of you. I want to know which one is the real. Like, I'm here to figure out which is the real you. Maybe not the best optics on that, but like. <laughs> Don't love that metaphor because a person can be more than one thing. Yeah, well, a person can definitely be more than one thing. And two, maybe don't like, I think a lot of people will stay in abusive relationships because they feel like, no, I've seen him when he's not being an abusive monster. Uh, And that's how I read these moments every time now that I'm just like, yeah, that's not great. As as we've mentioned on this podcast before, Mm -hmm. the entire vibe of he's not like that when we're alone. Right. Not a good vibe. No, not a good vibe. I do like. I like how it squares his the circle of his behavior. Like I, yes, yeah, I'm I'm along for that ride, and I get it, and I know why he's acting the way he he does, and we'll dig into that a little more yep. later. But when we have full framing for this, it all makes sense. Yeah, but the the <laughs> the notion of like when we're together, he's still, that's bad. Don't right. Yep. <laughs> to, that to 
please talk to your friends and get them out of abusive relationships <laughs> when they come to you with that shit. <laughs> so yeah, back to the real world. We see Suzu interacting with the choir ladies this time. They mm-hmm. they all can say like uh, they all tell she's she has a crush on someone. Again, clearly, as the movie has illustrated many times, she has a crush on Shinobu. Mm-hmm. And the dialogue in this scene is set up at, to continue the misdirect of trying to make us associate Shinobu with the beast. Like, oh, yeah. he's a bad boy. She's got a crush on someone because, with an edge. I can tell. Because Suzu is doing that. Because we see Suzu doing that over and over again. Like it. Yep. Yeah. The movie is trying to make you do that. And Suzu is, is doing that. Like, in as the character is is we literally see her thinking about suzu and then thinking about the beast yep yep back to back yep like she's putting that together (laughs) and there's a lot i mean listen when you're whatever she is 17 i think did i say suzu shinobu whatever shinobu and the beast yeah 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 i got you well when you're that age and like listen you have a lot of emotions and they all tend to run very hot and it's kind of easy for all of that to get mixed up into a soup sometimes. Yeah, for sure. So the, the, the choir ladies are all saying like, ah, oh, we get it. We know what it's like. One of them says, I went to Ohio once and met a bad boy. What's the Ohio <laughs> the funniest name check to There's- me. There is no bad boys in Ohio. There's <laughs> just awful human beings. You, Mark, I'm a you know native of I. Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> there's like, Ohio is not a place where like, there's a lot of leather jacket wearing motorcycle riding toughs. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not what the state is known for. But I, I love ch- it so much. I had to check the ages and yes, yeah, Suzu was 17. Right. Okay. So yeah, you know. She's got a lot going on anyway. And then when you add on the complications of dealing with a crush and all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the choir lady went to Ohio. She's like, I wrote him a song and it was great. And she's like, I, you know, I didn't date him. He was too young for me or whatever. <laughs> so she's like, what? You know, I write songs. It's like she's struggling to sing, but she still writes a ton. But I've never really thought about writing a love song. And then, again, as soon as she thinks about writing a love song and starts sort of working her way through it, uh, Ruka reaches out to her via text and is like, hey, I got a, I got a bit of a crush on a boy and I was wondering if maybe you would help me with it. Yeah, this all happens around the same time that her inbox is blowing up with people being like, Suzu and Shinobu were holding hands in the hallway. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. And Hero have to go around and they do this like... They they employ this very Hasoda move of like we're gonna play a very Japanese game <laughs> like yeah. to illustrate the gonna the frame it as here. a tactical board game. Yes, um, which yep. is very good. That's just it was just a very Hasoda move, and I really enjoyed it. And <laughs> I didn't want to gloss over that entirely. <laughs> but what all of that does mm-hmm. is serve to frame this concept of a love song maybe unintentionally to me seemingly quite intentionally around a number of scenes about shinobu <laughs> yeah that's clearly the boy that she likes and she's because even when the text comes ruka mm-hmm. text is like i got i got a crush on someone i gotta talk 
I love that that Suzu's reaction is, well, it must be Shinobu. Clearly, he's the boy that everyone would have a question. I love it, Mark. I, Mark, <laughs> oh, honestly, 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 and this will come as no surprise. I would just I would love just this movie to be about the stuff happening at school is that yep. I just yep. look, I know that Soda loves the weird sci-fi internet world where people have red outlines and they fight sometimes <laughs> and they ride giant whales and ride giant whales. But the shit he's so good at is just people being people around each other. And yep. Yep. The, the parts that really work for me in this movie are the, is the stuff that takes part outside of you rather than the yeah. stuff that's happening in you. Yeah. What really works for me is just these actual human characters interacting with people. Cause I'm like, you get it. You get the, te- you, I, you, you at least understand what it was like to be a teenager whenever you were a teenager. And whenever I was a teenager. So whether that's so, the same now or not. <laughs> so to me, what happens here, right? Is the choir ladies like, you should write a love song. And Suzu says, I don't know how to write a love song, but interesting. Ruka reaches out and says, I've got a crush on a boy. Suzu says, oh, no, it's Shinobu. And then and then she writes a love song wherein the words are, stay with me, come back to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. it is so much just saying like, no, 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 stay here. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's it's real good. I And I know that the, there is text to be read in terms of like the beast within the you keeps running away from her and she wants him right, to stay right. so they can get to know each other. But the way in which the movie is like, write a love song. Boy, Shinobu's sweet. Uh-oh, Shinobu might be leaving me. I'm going to write a love song saying you should definitely stay and get to know me. And she's all the while pushing him away. Like, it, yep, like absolutely. She, they Continually have trying to cut him free of the burden she thinks she has become. We're gonna, we're gonna. I don't want to gloss over this interaction with uh, Kamoshin and like the uh, rowing in the river because I think every time he's on screen, it's great. I want more of him in this movie. Honestly, <laughs> I love he's him. So good. He has some of my favorite <laughs> moments in this movie. It, he's so good. His energy is just so refreshingly upbeat, you know? He's so upbeat and sincere and like he's he has the yep. himbo energy that we should all aspire to. I Absolutely. Love just the purest boy. He is the purest of boys. It's so good. <laughs> he like <laughs> he's there at the riverside canoeing, because of course just, that's his whole just thing. Just getting some reps in. He's <laughs> canoeing the heck out of it. Yeah, he's really canoeing the shit out of that thing. <laughs> Um, and, and Shinobu's just standing there watching him and like, and, uh, Suzu's on the riverside watching this all happen. And they have their little moment and she almost kind of like comes out and tells him something. Yep. Um, my, I, the whole time I'm like, I think she's just going to tell him that she likes him and has liked him for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's what's happening there. I think that's what she's going to tell him. I know that later that he guesses that she's bell because right. And there's also this text of her trying to work up to tell him like, you can, you can stop watching over me. Right. Right. But this feels so, like a slightly different energy. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like she's going to tell him that like she has feelings there. But then the moment is interrupted by a machine coming out with the, the fucking canoe. Just like casually. He's like, hey, what's going just on? Just got it on his shoulder. And she's like, with the canoe on his shoulder. 
And she immediately takes that out to be like, I'm going to talk to somebody I'm not horribly nervous around right yes, now to, yep. to get me out of this hell. Uh, and they had their little <laughs> conversation. And she's like, I'm rooting for you. You're going to do great. And he's like, does that mean you like me? And like, he's so great. I, lo- I love him. I love that stupid <laughs> so boy good. so much. He's so funny. And I like there's a purity to his energy here because they're all teenagers. Mm-hmm. Right. And she's like, hey, bud, I'm really rooting for you. And his initial reaction is like, oh, does the cute girl have a crush on me? And when she uh-huh. when she backpedals, his immediate reaction is like, no, no, don't worry about it. It's cool. No problem. <laughs> I'm joking. It's all good. Everything's fine. It's such a good energy reaction to that. Instead of yeah. like getting pissed off or getting edgy or getting mopey or like, mm-hmm. oh, the girl doesn't. Like, he's just like, no, no, sorry. Nope. Not. Yeah. He, she I doesn't even him. look. She doesn't even look uncomfortable. She's just quiet no. and like doesn't like know how to respond to that weird leap in logic. <laughs> and I don't know. That it, is a wild leap in logic. My 10 year old daughter reacted to that. Like, what? What are you <laughs> doing, pal? I've been where she's at in this moment where she's like, I, I was going to tell somebody that I liked them and then I didn't. And then somebody else has come forward and like, seems to make it clear that they're into that other person. And so you're just like, right. I'm just going to bow out. I'm just going to be a good yep. friend and step back. Even though Take that's not what out I of want. This equation. Yeah. I, it's more yep. important for me to feel like a good friend in this moment than it is. And you see that that hurts <laughs> her, but she does it because she actually thinks like, this is what's best for her these two people that she cares about. It's very yep. good. Whenever, is, yeah. when this movie lets the characters be characters and not online avatars, I really love it. <laughs> so Suzu jumps back into bell. She and mm-hmm. beast have a dance where she sings them the love song. Yeah. The, the little angel who is Tomo's floating around. This is where he hears the love song. As you correctly pointed out earlier, they have a moment together. And this is maybe like the singular moment they because most of the other interactions they have in the film is one or the other trying to run away from a thing. And in this moment, they are actually just sort of being in each other's company for a bit. On the back end of that, Justin shows up again. He's like, ah, you seem to know a lot about the beast, Belle. Do you want to, you know, you want, do you want to help out the cops? You want to squeal? yeah <laughs> it's very wild that he thinks that's gonna work like i get it later when he's threatening and blackmailing her that that mm-hmm. you know that's not a that's not a kind plan but i understand why you think that'll work i don't know what part of him thinks she's just gonna be like yeah i'll definitely give him up i think it's more uh display of power that, that is probably true yep that he's just he's like just a cop who is annoyed that he's not getting what he wants and so yep. he's going to reassert that he is in charge yep I'm glad this only happens in film and isn't a real problem at all. <laughs> Entirely all right. So on the back of that, Justin captures Belle, right? He, he interrogates her. He threatens to shoot her with the plot cannon to turn her yes. to like reveal who she is. Right, right. And the five or six like mermaid AI, whatever they are the the beast's ai program show up and rescue her but in the process a pe- uh, a petal falls off of the rose on her lapel which has like some digital coding that is going to reveal the location of the castle a literal digital footprint 
That is that kind of is what it is. It's just a plot device. We need to move this along. Right. They're mermaids, Mark, because they lead you astray when you're trying to get to your destination. Oh, trying to yes. Okay. Crash on the yeah. shore. That's what. I don't know if you picked up on that, but yeah. That's I didn't what. put that together, but that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So we see the pedal fall. Justin picks it up very ominously, looks at the code and kind of chuckles or whatever. That's... Mm-hmm that's great that's fine it's like everything that is happening in the digital world is a beauty and the beast story that it's cute but i mostly don't care about yeah i kind of feel uh, the same way <laughs> the, the i'll care about it for the last half an hour after the reveal what i yeah. do care very much about is back in the real world ruka and suzu are finally hanging out right like they're going to get together they're going to talk about the crush situation all of this and it's just like it's the absolute best friend date like they just have a great day together we get to see suzu kind of relaxing into the company of perhaps a less demanding and manipulative friend oh yeah ruka's a way better friend than hero not even not even a question right and hero's just been there longer and has the report to get her way ruka (laughs) is is just uh being a normal human person (laughs) and because of the complex dynamics of her relationship with shinobu there's also some some pressure in those interactions so with ruka she's just chilled out she's just having a good day and she also, towards the end of the day, puts together, she's like, all right, well, you know, let's talk about the whole Shinobu in the room. And Ruka's like, no, 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 that is not the guy I like. I want to talk about Mr. Canoe. Which is incredible. I love it. It's so good. What a I great misdirect. It. I love I hope that they are the happiest couple in the world and right? they never break up. I, those two Just characters two are so pure. Kind, gentle souls. And I I love because the movie definitely is like it very intentionally frames this as, oh, the the pretty girl has a crush on the boy I like. Like that's a trope in the movie intentionally leans into that trope just to be like, no, no, no. (laughs) No, I like the I like the himbo with a fucking canoe. (laughs) It's so good. And so they head out to the bus station. So. Uh, Ruka can catch her ride home. She's telling her a little bit about like, oh, Shinobu and I grew up together. We went to this grade school together. Ruka is clearly sensing that there's something happening between those two. Mm -hmm. But that whole discussion gets backburnered quickly because also in this bus station is Kamishin. Which is great. I (laughs) Mark, this is my second favorite part of this movie. I believe this was Ivy's singular favorite scene because she talked about it again it's, after the movie was done. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. It's so they see each other. They're both yeah. incredibly embarrassed. They don't know how to talk to each other. Suzu's like, come on guys, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's just have a chat. And, uh, Ruka hides her head in her hands. Like she just literally looks down and uh, like, she just can't. Yeah, she can't because she says, like, I'm rooting for you. And then Kamashin does the same thing that he did <laughs> at the side of the river. And is like, whoa, you, if you're rooting for me, does that mean you have a crush on me? And then she gets really embarrassed. He's like, no, wait, I was getting, I, um, uh, uh, shit. <laughs> and Susan's just shaking her head like, no, like, that's what's going on here. Yeah. Don't fuck Susan this up, y'all. Look and she's like, yes, that is what this means. Yes. <laughs> and he panics and runs out of the room. <laughs> It's so good. 
It's, yeah, has, it's, it's the physical also, comedy very good. It, the physical comedy is so good, and it's fun because we get to see Suzu acting with a purpose in the mm-hmm. real world. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. these are two people she cares about, and for a minute, everything about the you, everything about her own kind of burdens and anxiety falls away, and she like this is the most purposeful we see her until the very end <laughs> where she's sort of leading the scene. And it's, she just like, she stomps out. She drags commission back in. He freaks out a second time and runs away. And she just kind of like, she's not being cruel. She's not being manipulative. She's just like, come on, bud. You need to like, like you, you can you do this. Need- you you need to find your heart here because this is going to work out well for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have the most adorable flirt. Those two. It's very good. I I <laughs> I love it. I want only the best in the world for those two characters. <laughs> so so Suzu kind of fades out of the bus station so that they can talk and find Shinobu like across the street. Yep, I love the framing device. I love it. Every time you have two characters that are across the street, yeah, I love it. I don't know. I <laughs> so just it works for me. <laughs> there's cars whizzing past. They look at each other, and he's like, "Listen, I know, I know what you wanted to tell me. Your bell, right? That is not what she wanted to tell him. It's enough to where she's like, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! He knows. Oh fuck! Right. He knows. Of course he knows. He grew up with you. He knows what your voice sounds like, <laughs> right?" <laughs> He is probably, outside of maybe your father, the person on this world most likely to immediately recognize you. Yeah, like your dad and the choir ladies are the only yes. other people who have <laughs> this context. Of course he's going to know. And also, by the way, choir ladies have also put it together. Yeah, like, because obviously. <laughs> but I don't know. I love that Shinobu is just, like, very matter-of-fact about it. Like, he's not fanboy yeah. or anything. He's just, like... like so He, he is like, neither fanboy, right? nor is he angry at her for, like, withholding a secret. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. You're Belle. That's, like, I know you want... Like, we didn't get a chance to talk last time. You know, you had a thing you wanted to tell me. And, like, hey, I figured it out. Isn't that cool? It is not cool. She just like she is a teenager who does not know how to deal with her emotions right now. And yeah, she just so a teenager. Yeah, she's just a teenager, <laughs> and she runs. And while she's running, we get the news that like the beast is in trouble. So back into the digital world, the castle is aflame. Justin has found it and uh, set it on digital fire. I guess sure. You know when you're like burning a CD, that's what happens inside. <laughs> so okay, she jumps into the U. She finds him on like the balcony, the last bit of the castle that hasn't burned up yet. Mm-hmm. They chat for a minute, and he's like, "No, it's fine. I just have to endure this too." Mm-hmm. And I don't know, obviously, because I'm a dumb American. I don't know what the Japanese word for endure is. But I will say that the choice for the English word endure was exactly the right word. That was well struck. Yep. Very good. And then he jumps away because he does not want her to see him, you know, in pain and suffering. Yeah. We haven't talked about this somehow yet, but the beast has these like painted bruises on his bag. 
Yes. So he, oh, yeah. He carries we kind of... everywhere. We have not talked about this somehow in this entire podcast, but that's a thing. Uh, and but yeah, he has bruises, and the, he gets more the longer he's been a. The longer he his avatars around, the more bruises his avatar has. She steps back out to the real world, finds Hero, and is like, "Listen, the beast is in trouble, and my sense is that it extends beyond." just like his castle burning in the U. We need to find. Hero says, all right, listen, I've got my kit. She has this giant backpack of like uh, just a digital kit, right? She's got like mobile computers and screens and et cetera. Meet me at the grade school and we'll get to work. I think my takeaway is because she's got to ride the bus to get to school. She's a little further away from the high school. So they went to like the nearby grade school to get to work. Because it's the grade school that her and Shinobu went to. Uh, so yeah, so they head to the grade school, they set up shop, and they start, in a very Hasoda way, just like, scanning the whole internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the, everybody's got a bunch of browser windows up. Uh-oh. Yep. They're, they're cross-referencing, like, social media feeds and posts and live streams and et cetera, et cetera. The takeaway I had was she was just kind of... Like casting a wide net for anyone mentioning or talking about the beast. Mm -hmm. As well as monitoring the feeds of people they had identified as key suspects. Yeah. uh, Hero is basically the... There's one in every one of these movies with the digital landscape. She's the, like, Koshiro Izumi of... Yes. Yes. Yeah, she's the the Izzy from Digimon in this series. (laughs) She's the super user, the hacker, the whatever. She's the internet wizard. Yes. (laughs) And eventually, while they're doing this, Suzu picks out a voice singing the love song that she wrote, the one that she and Beast danced to earlier. Mm -hmm. While they're doing that, Shinobu finds Ruka and Kamishin and says something's going on suzu just ran away i think she's in trouble do you guys know where she might be and ruka says well we were just talking about you know the old grade school it's a bit of a tenuous connection but yeah we're not sure how all the people get where they're going here they just kind of all show up in this room that's the thing that i yes (laughs) stuck out to me much more the second time through i'm like so they just all knew to come here huh but they tried there was a line at least with Ruka because right before they found Kamishin, Ruka says to Suzu, like, oh, you guys went to the same grade school. I'd like to go see That's that sometime. Enough. That's enough. That's enough for me. So everyone's kind of rushing. The choir ladies say, like, oh, Suzu's in trouble. We should probably help out. That would then reveal that we know that she's Belle, but you know, that's fine. She's gonna find out eventually. Mm-hmm. And I just love these super because it's a text chain. Like they're all in like a WhatsApp group or something. It wasn't line, was it? Because a lot of the times in Japanese media, it's, mm, everyone's yeah. online. Yeah, um, I, not, I don't know. If not online like the that. internet, but like on right. the app on, line. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so everyone's kind of hustling to get to the school while they're all on their way. Suzu has picked out that voice that we mentioned. And mm-hmm. what it is, is just one like 11 year old kid who has turned on his live feed and is kind of singing at the computer. Mm -hmm. And what he's doing obviously is trauma coping. Like he is, he is having a bad time. And this song has kind of been a thing in his recent life that has stood out to him as a positive. And so like he's, he's self-soothing with this song. 
Yeah, a lot of the times when we see Tomo, it looks like he's dissociating. Yes, absolutely. Now, why is his internet feed on? Who knows? The plot needed it to happen. But also, you know, he's an 11-year-old who's floating around the internet. Yeah. And maybe he just decided to live stream it because... Hero pulls up that stream and they watch and they see Tomo, which is the name of this 11-year-old boy singing the love song... They see his dad stomping in and just like, what are you doing? I'm trying to work. You're such an idiot. Don't you know you're distracting me? Are you going to shut up or do I need to shut you up? That pure toxic male stuff. Dad sucks. This is a thing because then uh, Kay, who is his 14-year-old older brother and who is in fact, because Suzu says, ah, that, that's the song, but something about this feels a little off. And then Kay runs in to protect his brother. He's like, no, no, you know, literally puts his body over his brother as a physical barrier between his brother and his father's raised fist. Mm-hmm. And his dad's just screaming at them. And then I, I watched my daughter's heart break in this scene. <laughs> it. This was a wild thing to watch with a 10-year-old who, listen, Mm -hmm. she's not a dummy. She goes to public high school. She watches media. She has a lot of friends from a lot of all different stripes of home life. She is aware that like what the the world in which she lives at home is not the same world in which every kid lives. Right. But like, I don't think she often sees that level of abuse depicted in media because she's 10. She just hasn't got to a lot of it yet. You know, Mm -hmm. that that kind of depiction isn't particularly present in most kids media right right and watching her watch this dad physically threaten his kids was heartbreaking because she genuinely looked horrified she looked her brain was having trouble processing that yeah which is you know the correct reaction right oh yeah for sure (laughs) i'm not like saying what a baby can you believe that (laughs) Uh, I'm right there with Ivy in in this moment, but I'm I'm not I'm not trying to trauma dump too much. But sure, sure. The, the end of this movie kicked my ass emotionally. <laughs> it was it was so visceral and so real. And Hosoda's very good at depicting family dynamics. He is, and, and I think he's even very good at depicting these not the good, bad ones. Yeah, yeah, the not good ones. That um, is a very common thread among the many reviews that I read uh, without diving too deep into it is people who experienced trauma themselves at the hands of their parents. There were a lot of comments saying like, oh, this is that feel like I uh, not necessarily like, oh, you know, it's great to see that depicted or whatever. But no. a ton of people saying like, this is right. This is correct. Like it absolutely like I vibed with this in such a way. Yeah, I I feel like I can speak for everybody when I say our entire bodies went into like, mm. oh, shit mode whenever that was right, happening. Right. You're right. He depicts dynamics well, including the bad ones, because it has like, oh, it's 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 so visceral and real. And, you know, that dude, right, that dude shows up and, you know, that dude, It it's a very heavy scene and like collection of scenes because we, mm-hmm. we come back to more of this later and we don't even see like. The everything that's super bad doesn't happen on screen. Yeah. Uh, the most we get is him like grabbing his boys by the collar and throwing them off screen. Right. Which is still absolutely abuse. It's oh yeah. 100%. All of this is absolutely abuse. Um But we but like, know the bruise pattern on his back. Right. Right. That, you know, we we 
So the worst of it, you're right, doesn't happen on screen. And it's still difficult to watch mm-hmm. in, you know, in a correct way. Like, not like, oh, it's badly put together or whatever. It's just like, no, it's-, it's so real and so horrifying that it's mm-hmm. hard to watch. And the dad initially cuts the camera off, right? Like he stops in, he yells at his boys. Uh, Kay throws his body in between. The dad like just puts a giant fist over the camera and shuts the computer down. And at this point, all of their friends have arrived and Suzu's just panicking and saying, we need to find him. He's in trouble. We need to figure this out. Yeah, like she initially, uh, Kay like shuts down a computer because... Oh, He's right. Like, yeah, the first time it was K. Yep. Uh, speaking from experience, uh, you get told over and over again by people you trust that, like, they're not going to let the bad thing happen from the bad man anymore. And you stop believing it. It's just it just infuriates you whenever you hear it anymore, because it's just one more empty promise before you inevitably go through the thing again. Um, yeah, I forgot so- about that moment. That's because after the dad leaves the room, she tries to talk to him. She's like, hey, it's me. It's Belle. I'm here to help. And he's like, yeah, you're here to help. Everybody's here to help. And you know what happens? People talk to my dad and then he hits me more and nobody ever helps. The second that the pot falls into the, the floor, I got Kay's character 120%. Mm, I was okay, like, yep, yep. okay, I understand everything about you and why you've acted the way you have for this entire movie. I, I get it. I've been you at different <laughs> points in my life. Sure, sure. So, yeah, he just, so he, like, I, I, like understandably, uh, gets pissed at an internet rando being like, I can help. The people who have systemic power did not help. How are you a random girl on the internet going to help? What are you going to yeah, fucking do yeah. that everyone else has not been able to do? I just have to endure this until I can get the fuck out of this house. Shuts down the feed, and then now we're at uh, the point where like she's like, I got it. Then she does the concert, right? She's like, I have to sing. Yeah, we and- have to figure it out. And Shinobu is the one who says, you have to sing, and you mm-hmm. have to sing as you. Because yeah. he doesn't know what you look like. That's the whole problem here. He's being pro- pragmatic about it all. But I think underneath that, he's like, this is this is the thing. Like, she doesn't... Because they had that talk earlier. The last time that they had, like, the conversation was shouting across the road. But before that was the one on the side of the river where she's like, don't... You don't need to protect me anymore. And she, like, marches off. Yep. And, like, yep. has to kind of sit with that. And I think there he's internalized that lesson of, like... I'm being overbearing. And yeah. Stop doing that. Yeah, I would agree because his energy here is very different. Yeah, his energy here is very much like, yeah, you're right. You don't you don't need me to like protect you like you can. You're capable of doing this on your own. Like it's like you can do it. Like he puts faith in her. And then heroes like she can't do that. She can't. What about my money? Has <laughs> 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 the like is the vibe she gives off. She's like, no, you don't understand. If she does that, then uh, do, do, do you want to go back to feeling like shit? Huh? Huh? Like she's immediately like being shitty to Suzu. I. Yeah. I no. The, look, listener, if your friends are treating you the way that hero is treating Suzu in this movie, get out of there. That's not your friend. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's not a healthy relationship. Yep. Um, Whereas, you know, Shinobu has definitely done some less than great things in this movie. Again, like he grabbed her arm to keep her from running off early in the movie, and he should not have done that. And I'm not going to make excuses for that. But in this moment, he is being like he is he has her back as opposed to like standing between her and someone else like He's empowering her to like, you can, you can do this and giving her the push that 
she needs and that to do the thing that she wants to do he's helping facilitate that whereas her whereas hero is like no don't do that no one's gonna love you if you do this you're gonna go back to being sad all the time which what what hero's worried about clearly is losing her own thing because she's said before this is more fun than a video game and that is where to me it communicates oh yes you are playing with your friend you're not helping your friend you are manipulating your friend for your own personal enjoyment right i i if i can instill something into a listener that is listening to this today uh any number of lessons that i've learned over the years it's to not spend time with people who treat you like a utility rather than a priority mm, that is because well the second yes look i'm a disabled person the second that utility runs out they are gone i promise you and that doesn't just speak to like physical like sure, disability sure. uh it, i mean or like uh cognitive disability like any of that it's just in general if someone treats you more like a utility than a priority they're not your friend. You you are just a means to an end. And whenever that yep. means runs out, they will leave. Yep. And that's so the value vibe yourself. that Hero has. <laughs> and you're right very much that Shinobu in this moment is trying to give Suzu the tools and encouragement that she needs to accomplish the end that she wants. And he's just saying, you know, you got up. If this is like the way to get the result you want is to get in there and sing and to be yourself. That's it. That's and, the, and that's the crux of it is that like Shinobu wants her to be herself. Hero wants her to be the avatar. Someone else. Yep. That is the that is ultimately what it is. Yep. And she goes in and she sings and the whole of the you says bells back she's gonna because this is the first time she's sung since the concert ever since like mm-hmm. beast i mean it's not she's sung privately but this is the first time she's sung in public and everyone's everyone's tuning in you know the beast scared her at the concert she's back she's singing forces justin to hit her with a plot cannon and reveal yeah. her true <laughs> face and he's like why would you want to do this it's going to ruin your life and she just sings and there's a minute where she like hits the bridge musical bridge not not a bridge in the world right she hits the bridge she kind of she kind of falters a bit and the whole crowd picks up the chorus and peggy sue who who was griping about her earlier is just standing down there like screaming you gotta sing you gotta you know she's picking up the song and singing with her Mm -hmm. it's a very hasoda moment with everyone coming together and it does allow the beast to see her real face right and it's k we now know this is k and he can see, oh, the girl singing is the girl who tried to video chat me five minutes ago in the real world. There's an entire layer on top of it because Justin's like lurking around. He says, well, if you sing, the beast will come to hear you. And then like we can finally get him or whatever. Right. None of that matters. But, you know, Justin does have like his own internal character motivation stays consistent while he is being used by Belle for her means. <laughs> Here's my here's here's something that I want to ask you. And I'm sure it popped up in some of the reviews you read. Do you think Justin is Kay's dad or are they just conceptual like parallels? Ah, that at least seemed to be a an absolute popular theory. I read it more as these two characters are serving 
similar roles in Kay's life, right? Kay's dad <laughs> is like he's trying to escape from his dad into this other world, be a new you, etc. But even within <laughs> there, he is being haunted by someone with the same energy. Yeah, for because yeah, for sure. it turns, it turns out. out- <laughs> world is full of toxic masculinity yeah i'm look if you deal with a fascist at home and then you're being chased by fascist in the internet where you're trying to get away from you know this overbearing um very authoritative violent figure uh and then you're still dealing with the same power structures elsewhere where do you got what are you where are you gonna go buddy yep <laughs> you're everywhere he goes he has to deal with the same kind of shit uh, now, you know, it could be that that's his dad, you know, is his right. That would if the biometric scanning tool of the you does accurately translate you. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That is a that avatar is a very believable representation of that man's energy. So could be. Yeah. The overbearing blonde hair, blue eyed police officer. There's only two things that make me like because I think they're supposed to be just conceptual like parallels whatever mm-hmm. like i do think that justin and the beast are the only two characters that are shown with the red outline and his dad has the watch okay it hangs it went later here in a minute it hangs on the watch the framing does for a little yep. too long and i don't i don't know if that's supposed to be telling the like audience these are the same people or if it's just they're just building more of that symmetry yeah yeah hard to tell wow. So Kay reaches back out. He reestablishes the video stream. He says, I, you know, I'm hesitant to believe that anyone wants to help me because of all of the aforementioned stuff. I'm at least willing to hear you out. Let's talk. And then the dad storms in and shuts the computer off. Because the dad finds an upload of the outburst he just had. A few oh, minutes yeah, ago. that's right. Yep. Yep. He's pissed he, off he that there's video evidence of, you know, him doing a bad thing. Yeah, which is a thing that is pretty universal, I'm sure, to all toxic mm-hmm. people, but definitely pretty universal to the toxic abuser, dad, husband, whatever experience is, oh, I don't feel bad about doing the things. What I feel bad about is when my carefully crafted public image cracks. Mm-hmm. Yep, a 100%. I don't like that it makes me look bad. Not that I've yep. done a bad thing, but I don't like that it's hurting our appearances. Because uh, he, ha- they, these fuckers always have to have this carefully curated public image that's different from the way they treat you at home. <laughs> so in the classroom, the whole team kind of comes together to to do some like internet detectiving. You know, they got to help him. No one knows where he is. Uh, Ruka recognizes the, so like the hourly chimes or the news chimes or something. And there were two of them. So they're kind of between districts and they can hone in that way. Shinobu starts searching the district because they can see these two giant towers in the background. So they know it's a certain type of complex. And because yeah, Kamashin's like, Hey, I've took a picture there. <laughs> yeah. I was there on one of the like meets that I, one of the canoeing meets I had to go yeah, to. Yeah. Whenever I, I qualified there. for nationals. <laughs> So they all come together. They figure out where it is. The leader of the choir, gray-haired, slightly older woman, calls the cops. Although maybe it's not the cops. It's like home services or or CPS or whatever the Japanese equivalent is. Right, right, I'm right. Not, I'm unclear. But they say, like, listen, we, like, without evidence, there, there's nothing. Like, you can't just call us from somewhere and say, go to this house. Look, Hasoda has been... It's in the background, I think, of all his films of just like this. 
the the limits of like a bureaucratic government body when it comes yes. to these kind of systems. And they, it, it, I don't think he's ever had a cop in a film that hasn't been like a shitlord either. Yeah, like that. He seems to have a. <laughs> healthy distrust specifically of martial bureaucracy which is to say Mm -hmm. armies and the cops right and also even within like the boy and the beast i would say and wolf children especially we see these people who have fallen through the cracks of even what we might consider the positive side of bureaucracy right the social safety Mm -hmm. nets and all of these things and again that's what's happening here this is a family who because it's a dad who has a very well-controlled public image can just keep the lid on it. And no matter how many people hear the kids say, I need help and try to help ultimately when the authorities show up and they see a well put together middle-aged dad saying, everything is fine. My kids are just, you know, they're teenagers. What are you going to do? They overreact. They're mad that I didn't give them what the, we all know how this works because we all know these families and we know these people. Right, right. And so Suzu says, all right, well, I'm going myself. Now, you might ask the question, why do none of the other adults go? That's a very good question. You are correct to ask that question. The answer is because it's not their story. <laughs> right, yes. Because this is the story of because Suzu anime. Yeah. and Kay, who have both lost their mothers and are helping each other deal with the very different types of trauma that has resulted from that loss. The answer is because it's anime, and two, that we don't, like... So a thing that the, the anime does that on Western media often doesn't do much of is that it gives children autonomy yes absolutely and it it wouldn't and the the crux of what is happening here the emotional core of what is happening here we don't need an old lady like that's it does nothing for like the story and for the character for like her to be subservient in this instance like it's she's being self-determined she's self-actualizing she's sticking herself out there she's trying to make a change in somebody's life um and it, it takes away her power of somebody else escorting her the entire way to do that. The movie needs yep. her to do it. Why? That's why. Because yeah. the story said so, listener. We get right. it as adults. We should be like, who's watching that child? But yes, we're absolutely. not the target market. The idea that a bunch of adults would send a 17-year-old to confront an abusive dad is ludicrous. Of course it's ludicrous. But this story is very much about Suzu finding herself again, finding her strength about her dealing with the loss of her own mother, about helping another child deal with the loss of his mother. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's ridiculous. But listen, this is the story. So she goes, she finds Tomo and Kay. The dad comes out to angrily confront them. And like in trying to like physically push her away, he tears a cut into her cheek. Mm hmm. And that seems to be ultimately the breaking point. And not, I think, because I want to be very clear on this. At no point do I think the dad realizes that he has done anything wrong. I do not think this man repents. I don't think he feels bad. I don't think any of the end result here is this man suddenly changing. I think he realizes that if he beats up a 17-year-old girl who is not his kid, he can't keep a lid on that. My reading is a little different. I also do not think he's growing and changing from this experience whatsoever because he's a fucking bully. Right. (laughs) Um, I think the takeaway here is, uh, Mark, I don't know how many times you've stood up to bullies, but this is what it looks like. 
<laughs> if, <laughs> also fair. Yes. When you stop being afraid of them, their power starts to crumble. And that's what we see happening here is that like th- this man who has been fucking abusing the shit out of his children um, has a 17 year old girl standing between him and his targets and she is yes. not deterred. She's not backing down. She has blood pouring down her face from where he's already hurt her. And she just stares right back into his soul and says, fuck you. I'm not moving. I'm not letting you hurt these kids anymore. And that yep. terrifies him because he has never over the course of his entire life and through this entire process lost his power. Yes, that's that is a very good read. I th- and I think that's why we just see him like crumble i think like literally crawl both i think yeah i think like pragmatically you're right like he recognizes that like he can't abuse somebody else's kids and keep getting away with it emotionally that's the part that resonates with me is that she's had enough and she's not gonna let it keep happening um i also weeped both times at the end of this movie here whenever this whole scene is going on just yeah it's it's well done yep just tears both times (laughs) That's sort of it. We're going to get a cut back to Suzu and her friends and the choir all like walking along the beach together. That beach that we've seen several times. Yeah. And she agrees to sing a solo with the choir. Shinobu finally relaxes and he's like, oh, okay. All right. You've, you've found your center again. Now I can just relax and have fun. Yeah. And the implication to me seems to be like, the relationship between the two of us can now become a relationship of like having fun together, not whatever this weird thing has been. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it is him saying, ah, oh, great. I don't have to watch out for, for you anymore. See you later. I'm going to go have a fun life without you. <laughs> right. It does leave hanging the question. I think of what happens to Kay, because there is real truth to his spiel earlier of like people always help. And then they go away and the beatings start up again. Right, right. And I think because this movie doesn't give us resolution to that story, it at least leaves open the concern of like, okay, well, she stopped that one beating, but what happened? The emotional payoff is there, but the logistical, like, have we actually gotten those kids out of there? Like, you didn't have to do much for it either. Like, you could have just... No, because they set the stage earlier with the CPS or whoever saying it'll take us 48 hours, 48 hours. So all we needed was the was the like some kind of cap saying because we know the bus ride took a while, some kind of cap saying like, well, it's a good thing they got there eventually or whatever, you know? Yeah, I, we we couldn't get just like a like a news report, like on a right. TV in the something. background of them of him being apprehended, like nothing. Uh, I do wish we got something there just to like rest easy about those kids are actually going to be okay yep because the 17 year old girl can't be there every time right yeah that it can't be her job to consistently take a multi-hour bus ride to tokyo <laughs> right <laughs> she took the train right i assume train. she took you're, the train. you're right train yes <laughs> go ahead the scene at the end on the beach so is very good with her just like relaxing with all of her friends around her with ruka and Kamashin walking shoulder by shoulder. It's all, like all of that is very, it's nice to see Suzu beginning to process and grow. That's, I just wish we could have known what happened to Key and Tomo, to Kei and Tomo. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I'm with you there. That's it. That's the it's a healthy two hours. Like it it definitely yeah. uses all of its two hours. I Mark, it's two hours, and I think this should have been like a six episode OVA. <laughs> that's like, boy, that's an interesting take because it's ranking time now, and I would like to discuss that take. It's ranking time. Uh <laughs> man, if we just had a little more we just had a little more foresight to do fucking power ranger ass thing stinger there (laughs) it's ranking time yeah it is ranking time i do think the pacing's bad in this movie uh for the first half of it it's trying to do two movie it is doing two things in parallel but it almost feels like two movies in parallel until everything finally coalesces at the very end and especially that first watch it drags uh definitely less so the second time and it feels like when you know all of the characters, time. you have more fun watching them all interact in quiet moments. Yeah. When you know all the characters, I feel like I could go for another 24 minutes worth of character development yep. is the yep. thing, which is why I think like a six episode OVA would have been great. Absolutely. And that's like my biggest registered complaint about this movie is the you is the least interesting version of this concept that his soda has put together. Like it's it polished. Is. He's got it. It's, yeah. I just do not care about that place. No. We only ever see like three locations and a couple of dozen characters. And I never care what's going on. Like I care about the beast only when we know that it is K at which point I'm really caring about what's happening to K like that's so the real life stuff on all fronts is what works best for me. And the like, the extra stuff that is a beauty in the beast retelling like it's very interesting and it's very clever and it is a really it's a neat inversion of that story it's just far less interesting than everything happening in the real world i don't know mark why we needed to develop a whole new version of this and why this couldn't have been a soft sequel to summer wars that's a very good point yeah why? And I think, as you say, if you make this a six-episode OVA, you have time to let both of those separate stories breathe. But as it is, it all feels a little mushy, right. and the good stuff is happening outside of the U for the most part. Yeah, I think that's the biggest part of it is that like all of the with like maybe one the one like the one scene where she's like looks like herself and you and you know we get the big hasoda everyone comes together at last second yep. to send emails to slow down the evil Digimon. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh when we get that moment it's good because Hasoda's doing the hasoda thing that he does at the end of all of these other like these internet world stories that he's done but the climaxes of those other two films are better. The, the internet versions of those other of, of those two films are better than this version of it. The everyone rushing to figure out how to solve the problem better in better the other film. The other two movies, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The individual emotional payoff of Tomo and K yeah. is a very like those it's really bits, good. Incredibly good. And some of the best character-based storytelling that Hosoda has done. I think in part because, as you say, it is looking specifically at a negative dynamic. And he's so good at interpersonal dynamics that when he turns that lens on a negative, it hurts. It's good. I I liked it more on the second watch. I very much had a better time with it the second time through. I did too. It really drug for me, that first viewing. 
that we watched mm-hmm. together where I was like, I, I spent most of the movie being like, I don't know if I really love this. I don't. And then the payoff with Kay happened and I was like, okay, that was pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, that, that, that works. And all of the, like the payoff with Suzu mm-hmm. and Shinobu and all of the stuff with her friends, that all feels very good. But, but it, it takes a very long time to set up what it's doing and then once the beast shows up, it gets interesting. But even so, aside from the fact that Belle and the Beast are helping each other kind of learn things about themselves, I I like the music. That's all of the best part of what's happening in the U is the songs. Yes, I agree. I just don't know that it lags a little in places. It loses itself in places. It's a little slow to make its points. And when it makes those points, they're maybe not super emphatic until the end. Now, again, it's a Hosoda film. I like it a lot. It's a real good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has, I think it's fair to criticize its pacing, and it's fair to criticize the fact that it feels, at times, a little confused about what story it's telling. It's clearly trying to layer the, the two stories on top of each other. For the most part, it works, but I don't think it's seamless. I think it works fine, but my thing is, like, Suzu has an all right payoff, but like it, but is her story better than Hannah's and Wolf Children? No, right? Is, yeah, is, no. <laughs> you know, like is it better than uh oh shit? What's her name and the girl who leapt through time? Like, is it better than her, like her arc? No, it, the like the Beast has a good story arc, but is it as good as Kumatetsu's story arc in The Boy and the mm-hmm. Beast? When we have another Beast, no. Uh, <laughs> it is interesting in that it does feel in some ways almost like a Hasoda hit parade, right? Like a lot of themes right. that he's done before kind of woven yeah. together into a quilt. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> it's, it's an okay version of that, but was Mariah a better version of that? Also, yes. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Well, here's the like, thing. And that's ultimately, I'm going to rank my films now because ultimately uh-huh. you have hit on the thing, that thing I wrote in my notes as my number one thing for this, which is Mariah's my personal favorite of the Hasoda films, which is funny because I think that's one of the areas we disagree on the most. Yeah. It's one of our few differences in our list. And I do feel like this is just a lesser version of Mariah in terms of being like Hasoda kind of trying to do all of the things that he loves if that's what you want marize your film i think so this is still a very good film if you want to watch a very good hasoda film and get all up in your feels about family dynamics and about high school children and found family and like this will do it for you it's gonna scratch that itch no like yeah I think you're right. But like, if you want a good high school drama love story film about found family and with a better realized version of this universe, Summer Wars is right there. Yep. Yep. If you want an interesting sci-fi star-crossed lovers romance, you got the girl who leapt through time. That's going to do it for you. We're at diminishing returns is what I I feel like is what that's how I feel about this movie is that he's hit diminishing returns on these concepts that he has done before. And I like the stuff that he does. That's new Mark, the stuff with K the music, those things are the best part of this. The stuff that that are that he is just strong on executing, which is like those character moments, like interpersonally, like especially amongst like kids in high school, 
on encountering yeah. those dynamics. Those are good. Those are good. But it's all They're these good, other little but pieces. Done better that, elsewhere. <laughs> it's all these other little aesthetic bits that he, I feel like he's hung up on. Mm-hmm. That like you can let go of that and do new things because I think everyone wants you to do focus on the things you're actually really fucking good at. Yeah. And deliver something really fun and interesting and unique this next time around. I feel like we've done all of these things that they do in this movie before, with the exception of the music and the the arc uh, about an abusive uh, family yep. member. What he, elevates this for me is very much that. Like, it's Pixar, Disney-level quality, and it's music, and that's real cool. Like, that's a neat new thing for him to add to that toolbox. But it doesn't lift it up. Enough. Like, so where I'm at... Enough. Go ahead. The bottom two on my list are the Digimon pilot and One Piece, of course, because that's yeah, someone else's playground that he's playing in. It's his earlier uh-huh. work. It's it's good. Where I'm at currently, uh-huh. number six on my list is the Boy and the Beast. That's yeah. the that's the lowest ranked of the Hasoda Prime properties, and sure. above it is Digimon R War Games. I don't like this more than Digimon R War Games. I feel like R War Games it it does it better for me in terms of like rallying the troops, getting everyone like rushing everyone mm-hmm. around. It, it is the it's the original version of that thing he does. Yes. That said, I do think the the trauma story, the abusive father, that all carries more kind of deep emotional weight than anything we're getting in our war games. I do okay. want to note like that half an hour is very, very good. But where yeah. I'm at, number six on my list is the boy and his beast. Or the boy and the beast. <laughs> <laughs> and his and I'm trying to decide. In this uh-huh. moment, if Bell goes above that, that's fair. I I know where I know where mine goes. I I decided it whenever, as soon as we stopped talking about the movie, I made my decision. <laughs> what well, and, and I the don't want to say is, anything. I love so much the relationship between the two leads, between the the boy and his master in the Boy and the Beast. Right, like I love. Mm-hmm. I love so much about that dynamic. There's a reason that movie is number six on my list, though, because it's got some, I think, really notable flaws. Boy, I'm really struggling with this. I ah, I hate to say it, and maybe <laughs> maybe another rewatch will move it more, because I love the music. I really do. But right mm-hmm. now, Bell's going in there at number seven, and then yeah. The Boy and His Beast 6, yep. our War Games 5, the Girl Who Leapt Through Time, mm-hmm. Summer Wars, Wolf Children, and Mirai, rounding out my top. Mark, we're the same person. I, <laughs> oh, man. I know. I didn't want to... This is I, the list that we vary the most. There's not a ton of variants on this list, but this is handily the list we vary the most on. Is it? Or is it just that you put Mirai higher? And Well, I mean... <laughs> eh, yeah, there's some variants, but like <laughs> my list... Because I knew coming into this ending section here that I was sticking below the boy and the beast on my list. And you started talking and I saw where your cursor was and I was like, God damn it, Mark. (laughs) We can't keep being the same person. My list from the bottom up now. It's nice to like revisit. Like we've we glossed over the fact this is the first time we're revisiting a completed Oh yeah, yeah. With a new film. But like, yeah, this is our first time doing that. Listener, hi, we're mentioning this at the fucking (laughs) 11th hour here. Uh, but yeah, I my list is from the bottom up: the Digimon Adventure Pilot at number nine, number eight, One Piece: Baron Omatsuri and the Secret Island. Number seven is Bell. 
because it just doesn't land its concepts as well as all these other yep. films did. Uh, the Boy and the Beast is at number six. Number five is Mirai. You liked that one substantially more than me. I still yeah, like Mirai. I, really I like all these films. Uh, don't get me wrong. But you really seem to like Mirai substantially more, but you are an actual real-life father. so Yeah, there's, there's, there's some parent energy going on there, for sure. Yeah. Uh, number four is Digimon or Wargame. Number three is The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. Number two is Wolf Children. And number one, what seems to eternally be my favorite Hasoda film is Summer Wars. <laughs> All right. That's, for the second time, the end of our Hasoda watch. <laughs> yep. What's uh, what's up next? Uh, up next, this is the end of our, our season. We got to the end of season three. This was season three, right, Mark? <laughs> yeah, we're going to be doing a like our seasonal break for the like summer months here. We're gonna we're coming back with sophomore slump again this year. I'm hey. so stoked about it. I have been sitting on my hands about it, not saying anything about it because I wanted it to be a little <laughs> bit of a surprise for y'all. But we're doing it again. I'm stoked about it. Uh, we're going to be covering what is probably my favorite band right now, mm. uh, and has been for the past you know decade or so. And we're going to be jumping into the discography of the Wonder Years, starting with, to some people's chagrin, because we'll be skipping one record technically, The Upsides. The Third One Sucks is a Retrograde Orbit radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at the Third One Sucks or email us at thethirdonesucks at gmail.com, where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the, the number three, rd1sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self-Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. Top dog, big girl on campus. I don't know. I don't know how to describe this. We're gonna... <laughs> Why did you say it distinctly with a W? <laughs> Why did you say top dog? Like I didn't realize you're singing I did. the lyrics to Cat Dog, and I'm gonna cringe when I listen back. <laughs> look, I'm the one from Oklahoma, Mark. That's that's how it just sound when I say these words. When you do it, it's appropriation.